good to see you guys this morning. It's good for us to be together again in the house of the Lord, to remember His goodness to us in Christ Jesus, to sing His praises, to feast upon His word, that we might be day by day conformed to the image of our Savior, that we can have a place where we can confess our sins. Not out loud, we're not going to pass around a microphone, but you can come today and bury your heart before the Lord and receive the grace of pardon. And you can walk out of here sharpened for the Lord's use and His mission. Doesn't that give us a lot to celebrate this morning? Visitors, we are so glad you're here to worship with us. I want to take, ask you to take just a brief moment. If you haven't already, scan the QR code in the bulletin. Or if you're online, it's on your screen. And there you can complete a digital connection card. Uh, to, just to let us know you're worshiping with us this morning. And also, if you need to communicate with us for any reason, you can do that there as well. I want to make you aware of some opportunities uh, for you to participate in the ministries of our church this week. Uh, there is this week a, a schedule change. First of all, our kids, uh, are they're done with their Wednesday night programming. When I say kids, our children, uh, youth, they do their own thing. And so Jared will disseminate the information for them. But there will be no uh, prayer meeting this Wednesday night. There will be no kids programming this Wednesday night. So that we might, as a church... Uh, love on our graduating seniors uh, with our annual ice cream social. Uh, if you want to bring cookies or ice cream, is that right? There's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer. If you'd like to bring cookies, banana pudding, or ice cream, uh, feel free to, to do that. Um, also, banana pudding, there's a Centra Kid fundraiser this week. Um, Jerry, when will that end? Okay, okay, the, it already ended, but the donuts will be here tomorrow, um, so a day of fasting is appropriate, <laughs> so that you're prepared, ready for those to come. Um, finally, um, there is out in the foyer a copy of the agenda for our monthly business meeting, and if, if there is something that you need to get on the, biz, the, the agenda, an item of business for the church's consideration, you make sure and let me know by Wednesday. Um, are there any other announcements we need to make at this time? All right. Well, Sydney and Isaac um, want to speak to you all just real quick about an opportunity they get to take advantage of this summer. Okay, like Dad said, we're Sydney and Isaac, and this summer we're going to be able to go to Colorado for two weeks and go to a Summit student conference, and Isaac's going to tell you more about that one. Uh, the student conference, they, the world, their mission statement is that the world pressures us young adults to doubt our faith and walk away. Summit student conferences will answer our toughest questions and equip us to stand firm. For over 60 years, we have been equipping, they have been equipping students to defend, own, and live out our faith. So while we're there, we'll get to sit under the leadership of different youth ministers and leaders of, what's the word, <laughs> apologetics, um, and also make friends with people that want to affect the world through by living out their faith as well. The church will be accepting uh, donations to help fund this trip, and so we can help. 
we can do this again for future seniors and make this a tradition. While Shannon's walking up here, um, I was asked to recognize that it's been eight years. And it's been three years for you. It has been. Since three Shannon years on Easter. Pastor, so. I'm, I'm grateful for to celebrate eight years with you. So God, God bless. Um, for our call to worship this morning, I would ask you to go ahead and stand in preparation for worship. Um, I'm going to read um, just by myself. Um, there, there's a section that's underlined. We'll read that all together. If it's not underlined, I'll just read it and you follow along. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's worship together. We sing about what happened on the cross, which is a great thing. We sing about what happened 
in the grave, which is a great thing. Sometimes it's hard to make the connection between that and what you're doing tomorrow morning. And that's just the truth, that when you're in the middle, from an educator's perspective, in the middle of dealing with that one student or in the middle of grading those papers that nobody passed or dealing with getting your kid to school or whatever it is that you're dealing with at your work, at your home, whatever, that the blood of Jesus is just as pertinent there as it is at salvation. So I just want y'all to focus on that this morning, that uh, there's a fountain that's filled with blood that flows from Emmanuel's veins that no matter how many times you sin and fail and mess up, it still flows. It still flows. And there's forgiveness and freedom in that. So let's sing this together.
How are y'all this morning? What is this? A fan? Have you ever stuck your finger in a fan? No, because nowadays there's so many safety regulations that you can't even get your finger in here. But I bet some of you guys out there stuck your finger in a fan when you were little or you heard your parents say, don't stick your finger in the fan because the, it didn't have a tight grill like this. Um, I brought this this morning uh, because I wanted to demonstrate something to you. Let me turn it on. Ah. It's not working. That's a bummer. I wonder, yeah, you're right. What's the deal over there? Oh, would you plug it in? Oh, thanks, James. Okay, let's see. Now let's see if it works. There we go, sort of. Now it can do what it was designed to do because it has some power. You know what? We're kind of like that. Um, let's pretend like you're this fan, okay? You don't, you don't have a fan blade or a motor, but you have arms, right? You have arms and legs and eyes, and you don't have a motor, but you have a, a heart that beats because God designed it that way and a brain that works, your heart and your brain keep you alive. But without power, this fan won't work. And God designed us the same way. Without power, we can't be what God designed us to be. So where does our power come from? The Holy Spirit. You are right. Let me read you this. This is in the book of Acts. Jesus has been crucified. He was laid in a tomb. He came back to life. He appeared to the women at the tomb. He appeared to the apostles. He appeared to over 500 people. So everybody knew that Jesus was alive. And the last thing he said to them before he went to heaven was, you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to come upon you. Do you know what the word invade means? Say invade. Do you know what it means? It means to attack. To attack. Sort of like that, right. The Russians invaded Ukraine. They weren't just strolling by there and decided to stop in for a visit. They invaded, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He invades us, and he takes up residence inside our hearts. And this says that power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that's the only way that we can be what God created us to be, just like that's the only way that this fan can work if it's plugged into a power source. So my prayer for you is that you will hear the word of God and by hearing that the Holy Spirit will then invade 
Say invade. <laughs> invade, that the Holy Spirit will invade your heart and just provide the power that you need to be what God created you to be. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for these beautiful children, Lord, and I thank you that you have blessed us by placing them in this church family. Father, I just ask that each one of us would uh, be diligent to disciple them and teach them about you. Father, that uh, upon hearing and learning about what Jesus Christ did for us with his blood that he shed on the cross, that, Father, you would just raise these children up as a generation of mighty warriors to just glorify your holy name. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray this morning. Amen. My mom used to tell me if I stuck my face in a fan, I'd look at others differently. So, <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Psalm 103. Some of this passage is going to be very familiar to you, um, and I want us to read this together. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all the iniquity and heals all the diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The, the, excuse me, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, hallelujah, uh, not, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As, fear, as, the, as far as the east is from the west, as so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. If you're here this morning and you're just down, depressed, frustrated, remember that, that God loves us deeply. If you're here and life's great, remember that, that God loves us deeply and he casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. Let's sing this song together.
so good to us. We love you and we know that you love us deeper than we could ever imagine. We pray today, Father, that you would teach us what we do not know. And that we would come to repentance because of your kindness. Do what you want to do among us and we'll worship you for it. In the name of Jesus Christ alone we pray. And God's people say, Amen. If you would, please take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9. Look at five verses this morning, 9 through 13. Oops. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you should find a Bible somewhere around you, hardback, black. Uh, Turn to the back of the Bible, find page 6. I want you to know that if you don't own a Bible, you are more than welcome to take one of the pew Bibles, or there's also on the back table, they're in shrink wrap, uh, a Bible. It's, you take it. We will not bat an eyelash. We want you to have a copy of God's Word if you don't have it. Hopefully you brought yours. Uh, and if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. Uh, This morning is the final message in a sermon series that we've been going through called My Jesus, I Love Thee. So we've taken a look at Christ from different names that are given Him in the Scriptures. And our final look at Christ this morning in this series is Him as physician. In Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13, this is God's Word. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray together. Our Father, you are holy, holy, holy. You are light. And in you there is no darkness at all. The human race, though, we we know is quite the opposite. We are sick with sin. We walk in darkness. We're cut off from your holiness and your light. The gulf that exists between us and you is so great that apart from your grace, we would indeed be cut off forever. So we praise you. In fact, all praise is yours Father, for bridging that gulf between us and you through your Son, who heals the sin-sick soul, who is light, who is the way. We pray, Father, that you would grant sick souls and darkened minds a saving look at the only physician who can heal. We pray that you would draw us to him and that for your glory you would heal us. 
And in His saving name alone do we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you have ever traveled to a third world country, you have witnessed firsthand the devastating effects uh, caused by a lack of adequate medical care. We here in Cherokee, Texas, we take for granted we don't have to even travel 20 minutes to find access to trained medical professionals, well-stocked doctor's offices and pharmacies, and even a hospital. We are wonderfully, truly blessed. We have an embarrassment of riches in comparison with the poor areas of the world. We all know that there are very bright people all over the world across various fields that are working together in collaboration trying to eradicate disease and to raise the standard of medical care around the globe. And this is a good goal. I think we can all agree on that. However, nothing on this earth can heal the most insurmountable problem which is plaguing the human condition, and that is sin. Only Jesus Christ, the great physician, the great physician of body and soul, can deal with the sin that plagues the human condition. So in this morning's text, we have another instance of Jesus confronting and correcting the Pharisees who always seem to, as Jesus puts it, strain out a gnat but swallow a fly in trying to help people be more religious. Four things I want to draw our attention to in this text. It begins with the physician's call. If I could sum up in one hyphenated word, the physician's call would be this. It's life-changing. Notice in verse 9. It says, and Jesus passed on from there. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew. That's interesting to me. Not just a sinner, a name, a face, someone that Christ himself knitted together in the mother of Matthew. So he sees not just an empty, nameless face, but a man named Matthew sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. Follow me. When Jesus says, Follow me, what he's saying is, Be my disciple. Sit under my teaching. Learn from me. Walk with me and emulate my example. Now, to put this in the proper context, a rabbi, a teacher, when they chose disciples, typically they had people coming to them, sort of putting out their resume. I'm one that you should pick in order to be your disciple. I'm qualified. Look at these things. I'm learned. Look, my life is good. I want to follow you. I want to emulate your example and sit under your teaching. But Matthew, on the other hand, was the most unlikely person to be picked. He was a tax collector. Now, to put that a step farther, he was no regular sinner. He was a sinner that went beyond the pale. Think of it this way. He was a death row sinner with no possibility for pardon. Because he worked with the Romans as a tax collector. And that in and of itself made him a person who was a traitor to his people. And he was also ceremonially unclean because of his contact through the Gentiles. So let's step back and look from this. He was cut off. From his people because he was a traitor. 
And because he was ceremonially unclean, he was cut off from God. But we know that the eternal Son of God took to himself Israelite humanity. He was a Jew. And he comes to this center of sinners, this traitor of the Jewish nation, this unceremonial, this ceremonially impure sinner, and says to him, follow me. And it says in verse 9, and he rose and followed him. Now, we ought not skip over that too quickly and miss what is life-changing in those few words. Because rising and following Jesus changed Matthew's life forever. Now it says right there in the text, and he rose, because where was he? Remember the text says he was at the tax booth. Matthew rose and followed, leaving behind in a very real cost a career and the lifestyle it provided for him. Because if you know about tax collecting, the way they would do tax collecting is the lower echelons would charge more tax than what the Roman government required and then take it on up the chain who then would skim some more off the top, who took it off the chain, who would skim some more off the top before it ever reached the Roman government. So Matthew, sitting where he was at this crucial travel way by Capernaum, likely had a lot of money passed through his hands. So when he rises and follows Jesus, he's leaving behind a career and everything that came with it. But I think we can infer that Matthew agreed with Paul that all he was leaving behind was dumb in comparison with all that he would gain in Christ. Now, this particular passage, um, this story, when I say story, I hope you know, this is a true account. There are no stories in the Bible. This Every word is true. But it also shows up in Mark and in Luke. And in Luke, he notes that Matthew, when he, when he rose and followed Christ, he made Jesus a great feast. And this indicates the response of a changed heart, a thankful heart. It's much like Zacchaeus, remember? He was a chief tax collector. He was a really sinner, sinner of sinners. And when Jesus said, I've got to go to your house today, we see the salvation came to Zacchaeus' house because what did he say? He said, if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to do more than make it good. It was life-changing for him to be called by Christ. You remember the woman with the alabaster flask of ointment? She had nothing to offer Christ. In fact, she was a sinner of sinners, just like this tax collector, Matthew and, and Zacchaeus. And what does she do? She takes this alabaster flask of expensive ointment and breaks it and anoints Jesus with it. And people complain, what is she doing that for? What a waste. But out of the overflow of her heart, where else would she want to give this? Her life had been truly changed by Jesus Christ. But not only was Matthew's life changed, he was trying to see that other people's lives were changed. He invites many tax collectors and sinners, it says in verse 10. 
But in Luke, it says that a great company of sinners and tax collectors came. When it says sinners here, just so we know what's being described here, it's talking about irreligious Jews, the non-churchgoers, you know. But then he's also talking about, um, in in describing sinners and, and the company that came, we see that Matthew wants other sinners to meet Jesus. Glory, hallelujah. May his tribe increase, right? Remember the story of Jesus, the true account of Jesus going through Samaria? Had to go through Samaria because he had a divine appointment with a woman at the well. And after they had an extended discussion about religion, she came to be changed. Through her encounter with Jesus Christ, she'd come to draw water from the well, but she left the water jug there at the well, and she raced into town, and she said, Come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. This woman had had five husbands. She'd been passed around like a piece of meat. And she encountered this Jew. Her as a Samaritan encounters this Jew. And he changes her life. And just like Matthew, she doesn't want to be the only one who experiences the life change of the physician's call. She wants other people to come to. Well, Jesus never really had a moment to himself. Usually there were people needing his attention. And some of those people were Pharisees. They weren't uh, needing Jesus' attention because they wanted to sit under His teaching and be changed into His likeness. No, they oftentimes confronted Him. And this is what we see next in the text. The Pharisees' confrontation. It's verse 11. It says, And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to His disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? If I could sum up in one word, the Pharisees' confrontation would be this, legalism. Legalism. Now, Sinclair Ferguson gives us what I think is a very easy to understand and even remember definition for legalism. It's simply this. Separating the law of God from the person of God. Separating the law of God from the person of God. Now, let me illustrate. What the Pharisees often did was they instilled laws. What they did was they, in a sense, built a a fence, a wall of laws around the law, thinking that if you obeyed those those laws that, that would keep you from even getting close to breaking the real law, that then you you're gonna be good. You didn't have anything to worry about. The problem is God's law reflects His character and His purposes. It was given for a reason. And Jesus tells us why. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The law didn't need anything else. But they did it. They used God's law for their own purposes so that they could be righteous according to these fence laws, this this wall of laws, but their interior was filled with rot. They used that law to control people. They used that law to divide people along outward lines of piety. And what they did was they just missed the point of the law completely. In fact, Jesus 
often scolds them. There's a point where uh, the, the disciples and, and, and Jesus in Mark 7, they're accused once again of being ceremonially unclean because they didn't wash their hands before they ate. And Jesus says, oh, you Pharisees, right did Isaiah prophesy about you. You acknowledge me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. In other words, Jesus is saying, you are missing the point here. In fact, let me demonstrate to you how you miss the point. You say that if if you were going to give something to God... Uh, I'm sorry, if you were going to take care of your parents, which the law commands, but you say, wait a minute, I was going to use that that I was going to take care of my parents with, and I was going to give it to God. He says, you nullify the commandment for the sake of your tradition. They separate the law of God from the person of God. God is good. He gave a good law. It needed nothing else, but they added to it. And so that's why the Pharisees come to scold or teach Jesus. That's what I think they're doing. They're trying to scold him. They're trying to teach him. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners, they ask. And this is, of course, it's an accusation that Jesus is ritually unclean. Therefore, he's guilty by association. Right? And they're probably thinking in their mind, doesn't he know that this big feast that Matthew is throwing, guess who paid for it? It was paid for on the backs of all of us who paid taxes to Rome. And this is ill-gotten gain. What a scandal, Jesus. It's legalism. Well, Jesus, the great physician, brings correction to their viewpoint. If I could sum up the physician's correction in one word, it would be this. Lawful. That might surprise you, given the fact that the Pharisees were legalistic and how they viewed the law. But here Jesus, His correction is lawful. Let me explain. In verse 12, Jesus does answer the tax... I'm sorry. He answers the Pharisees. And He says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. In other words, Jesus is saying, Where else would you expect to find a physician? Wouldn't you find a physician around people who are sick? Notice there, he's calling himself a physician. Not a physician in the physical sense, although he can heal people. But these people aren't physically sick. They are spiritually sick. Now notice again in the text, it says, those who are well, verse 12, have no need of a physician but those who are sick. So there's... Two groups he talks about, the well and the sick. So we ought to say, since he's talking metaphorically, how how do we define well and sick? Well, the well, I think you could understand, are the quote-unquote righteous. In Psalm 105, it captures well the hearts of these Pharisees. It says, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. But these guys, that that was their heart. But on the exterior, they were hyper-religious. Jesus confronts them in Matthew 23, verse 23. He says to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin 
and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done. He's saying it's, it's fine for you to tithe those things without neglecting the others. The others are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So on the outside, they look all clean and neat and pretty, but on the inside, they are full of corruption and destruction. And these lawful, these righteous, these hyper-religious Pharisees, Here's what's funny and ironic about this. They perceive themselves to be the physicians. The problem is they're unaware of their own need. You know, as Christians, we can be the same way. Jesus speaks to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 3, 15 through 17. He speaks well about the church. He says, I know your works because they, they were doing some good things. But he says, you're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Listen, for you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing their need. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Well, that's the well. well, who are the sick? It's people that are sick with sin. It's the irreligious. It's the folks that are already broken. They know their need. Matthew already knew his need, I believe. And he knew, as well as the other people that came to the feast, that he was in need of a physician. And Jesus says in the text, it's the sick that need a physician. A good physician examines the patient. He makes the diagnosis, or she The doctor then prescribes a treatment that doesn't just address the symptoms. That's what the Pharisees would do. But actually addresses the cause of the disease. And not only treats the disease, but treats a person. Jesus came to a man named Matthew. Wasn't a nameless face. Not just another person for whom Christ died. A person that Christ knew intimately. And he treats the the person, not the disease. And as the great physician, Jesus knows in himself how to treat, diagnose both the well and the sick. See, the sick, they they really need a different treatment, I guess you could say. And here, notice what Jesus says in verse 13. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, he's saying, these people know they're broken. I came to bring them mercy. They know they don't conform to God's law. But the well, on the other hand, how does Jesus treat them? Notice what he does, verse 13. Go and learn what this means. And then Jesus quotes Hosea 6.6. He sends them back to the law. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Why does he do this? Why does he send the Pharisees back to the law? Because they think they conform to the law. And Jesus is showing them. When he says, go and learn what this means, what he's saying is, this is kind of funny. He says, go and learn what this means. That's what a disciple would say, I'm sorry, a teacher would say to his disciples. Go figure this out. Go learn what this means. This is how a rabbi would give a charge to his disciple to go learn something. And so Jesus, the big T teacher, is teaching these so-called lowercase teachers that their theology is wrong. Remember Nicodemus? Jesus had to correct him. You must be born again. Nicodemus says, I don't understand what you just said. 
And Jesus says, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? So praise God, Jesus, instead of saying no law, He sends them to the law. He says, again, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Listen, <laughs> let's understand what's meant here. Both are priorities. Both mercy and sacrifice are priorities. Neither are to be done away with. But of the two priorities, Jesus is saying mercy is more important than sacrifice. It's more weighty. So understand here, the treatment for legalism isn't no law, but a right understanding of it. What Jesus is doing here is he's holding the law up to the Pharisees as a mirror so that they can see that they're not actually well, they're sick. See, the sick have looked into the mirror of the law and they've seen their brokenness. The well need to look into the law and not see self-righteousness, but their own brokenness. Now, I think you could see if these so-called physicians... These Pharisees, if they don't understand medicine, they make things worse, not better. I don't know if you're into Civil War history or not, but the doctors, the field doctors in the Civil War, it showed that they were doing a really good job if their hands were always bloody. You know what that means? They went from patient to patient. They'd work on this patient, just wipe off the blood, hands not washed, go to this next patient. Put their hands on that patient. Is there any wonder that the spread of disease was as rampant as it was? Because the physicians were practicing wrong medicine. Instead of making the patients better, they made them worse. This is what Jesus is trying to get the Pharisees to see. Because when the physicians are wrong, neither the well nor the sick get the treatment they need. i end with this, the physician's concern. He says at the end of verse 13, For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. If I could sum up Jesus' concern, the physician's concern in one word, it's this, it's love. See, Jesus is loving both to the well and to the sick, to the righteous and to the sinner. Notice, He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He doesn't excuse their sin. Those at the feast, they're sinners. But here's the thing, the soul-crushing burden of keeping the law, that's not Jesus' remedy for a sin-sick soul. Matthew 12, 19-20, describing Jesus through uh, the writing of Isaiah, he says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. What does that mean? If people are broken, don't break them further by showing them how much more wrong they are. So Jesus loves those who are broken. He loves the sinner who knows they're a sinner. And to the people that are well and don't know that they're, they have a great need for, uh, for the physician's healing, He shows them themselves. I want to read from Mark 10, 17 to 22. And as He was setting out on His journey, a man ran up and knelt before Him and asked Him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call Me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And He said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept from My youth. Listen to this. And Jesus Looking at him, this legalist loved him. 
loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus showed him his idolatry. And it says, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Do you notice there that Jesus loves both the sick and the well? With both groups, the issue is the same. I'm sick and I cannot heal myself. So how does Jesus heal? He takes to himself human flesh, but not the sin and the guilt inherent to humanity. Otherwise, he would need healing himself and he would be no help to us. In his human flesh, he lives a perfect life. He never sins, either by doing what God forbids or failing to do or be what God requires. Otherwise, he would need healing himself and he would be of no help to us. In his flesh, he dies on the cross, not for any sin of his own, but for the sins of believers. God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21a. Why did he do this? Matthew 8.17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And in himself, Jesus makes full atonement for sin. And he rises again, proving that he atoned for sin. And being the living one who who now can apply to the believer the benefits of his salvation. All of Romans... 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin that in Him, the living and exalted One, we might have the righteousness of God. Christ has righteousness to give. And as believers were healed by His righteous death and His righteous life as His righteousness is applied to your account. Now I doubt that Matthew and those at the party knew all of what I just explained to you. I don't think they had a clue about that. But I do know that I do believe that Matthew would say this. I have been healed. I've been healed of my sin. I believe he would also say, I am being healed from my sin. I want to share in closing a section of a hymn. It's called, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? It's by Charles Wesley. He says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in Him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine, boldly I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love. How can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? But apart from doing that, He would be no physician for us. And having done that, We can say, amazing love. How can it be, me, that you, my God, would die for me? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. Gracious Father, we pray that you draw us all near to our great physician. That through his blood you would cleanse us. 
that through the Holy Spirit you would give us a greater understanding of this healing power. That you would in each of us increase our trust in the never-ending fountain of healing, which is our physician. If any of us are dealing with shame and sin, help us to put our shame away and come to the only one who can replace our shame with the joy of his perfect salvation. In the name of the great physician we pray. Amen. Let's stand. This will be a time for you to respond to the Lord as He sees fit to do in your life. seated for a brief moment. I want to give you a few updates on our prayer list. Have a short time of prayer. Um, just a few things to pass along with you. Um, Chris's appointment that she's going to go have some uh, have an appointment at, at Austin Heart. That's been postponed. So continue to pray for Chris in that upcoming appointment. Uh, Ella Owen, doggone it, uh, had an accident riding her hoverboard and broke her wrist. So uh, we pray for her quick healing. She should get a hard cast next week. Uh, Garrett found out that um, he's having some some problems with sleep apnea. I remember he had a grand mal seizure a while back, so hopefully they're getting some things ironed out with him. Um, Olivia had a good doctor's visit the other day, and it's under 100 days till we're going to... I get to preach to a dog. (laughs) I get to preach to a dog. We were talking about baptizing a dog. It might be the last thing I ever do here if we did that. But um, if you're not aware, our church um, gave the money to, help, to, to pay for Olivia to have a dog that will help her with noticing seizures before they come on. Um, so that's, that's a huge praise. Um, anybody know how Colton Bench came out? Is everything good with him? I did hear this morning from, uh, from Crystal that he is okay. They are currently working on trying to get a ramp complete for the house so he can get in and out of their house. Okay. All right, thank you. Nell Foreman, praise the Lord. Remember I told you a few weeks ago she was diagnosed with I'd never heard of before, stage 5 bone cancer. She's cancer free. Um, she's cancer free. I don't have an explanation for it. I don't. God is good. And, and so um, we thank Him. We praise Him uh, for His goodness. Uh, Rose Gray has been transport. She is now um, in rehab at the nursing home in Lano, uh, and just make sure um, Thomas Bowden did pass away. So pray for the Thomas Bowden family. Um, tomorrow morning, our beloved Tatum is having surgery on his leg. They're going to put a pin in there. Is that 
That's correct. A pen in there? Okay. Um, so we want to we wanna pray for, for Tatum and add him to our list. So anything else we need to update on? Uh, brother Shannon, I was going to update on my brother. Uh, oh, thank John you. Um, I did, they did do uh, like the PET scan and everything. And uh, we have what we think is uh, good news that the, uh, the cancer in his lungs, what they found is contained, has not uh, grown or gone anywhere else. So we're just anticipating the next doctor's appointment to find okay. out how they'll treat that. Okay. So. All right. Any other updates? Well, let's stand. We'll have a time of prayer. We'll say the Great Commission and be dismissed. Father, we do praise you for being the great physician. Uh, we praise you for what you've done in Nell Foreman's life. Uh, we give you all praise and all glory. We don't have to have an explanation that suits us. Uh, you are the God of all glory and all praise, and so we we give to you what is yours alone. Uh, we pray for our dear buddy Tatum that tomorrow goes well and he makes a quick recovery. Um, we also pray uh, for others that have been mentioned here this morning, uh, for those that are still needing continued prayer uh, for whatever they are dealing with. We pray for any on our list that if they don't know Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that through this uh, they might hear the gospel and uh, put their faith and trust in Christ and be saved. Uh, Lord, lead us in this coming week that we might be on fire for you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's say the Great Commission together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age.